turn in the scriptures to Proverbs chapter 3. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens, by his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools.
The text that we consider this afternoon is verses uh, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in this chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teaches us the wisdom of God with regard to our possessions. Notice he teaches already in verse 5 some of that wisdom when he says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That also applies to our earthly needs. That applies to money and possessions and finances and the decisions we make about all those things. Trust in the Lord, and he shall direct thy paths. He teaches us wisdom toward the end of the chapter in verse 27, when he says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. He's saying if you have the ability to help your neighbor today, and your neighbor has need today, then give to him today. That's the wisdom of God. But we consider together verses 9 and 10, and the wisdom that he teaches us there. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. The wisdom that Solomon teaches here in Proverbs 3 can be found throughout the scriptures in many, many places. One of the well-known places is the Sermon on the Mount of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 6. There our Lord teaches us the very same wisdom when he says, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall put on. Behold the birds of the air, they do not sow, they do not reap, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them and you are much better than they. He goes on to say in the same chapter, Matthew 6, that we should remember that our heavenly Father knows that we have need of all these things. We should not worry about them, but we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. There our Lord teaches the same wisdom as we find in our text. And the main calling of our text that we consider today is that we honor the Lord with our substance and the first fruits of our increase. And in the words of our Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I call your attention to the theme, honoring the Lord with our possessions. First of all, that what it means to honor God in our giving. Secondly, what it means to give the first fruits of our income. And finally, the promised blessing in the text. Solomon writes to his son 
Honor the Lord with thy substance. What does that mean? The word honor in the text means that you consider someone to be important. You consider someone to be weighty, to be glorious even, and honorable, worthy of your praise and your worship and admiration. That's the idea of the word honor, and he calls us to honor the Lord, to honor Jehovah, the one true God, our God and Savior. But specifically, he calls us to honor the Lord with our substance. That word substance could also be translated possessions. Your substance is all that you own, all that you possess, all that God has given to you, including our finances, our properties, our assets. Everything that we have is our substance, our possessions. Now, he calls us to honor the Lord with them. And specifically, it's clear in the text, he means to honor the Lord by giving some of those possessions to the Lord for the causes of his kingdom. Now, we can say more generally that we have to honor the Lord with all of our substance, with all of our possessions, not just a portion of them. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we find, for example, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Seek the honor of the Lord in however we use our finances. Everything that we purchase, everything that we spend our money on, we should be doing so in a spiritual manner. We don't always do that. We often fail to do that. We aren't often thinking about the honor of the Lord when we swipe the credit card or when we hand over the cash, but we are to honor the Lord in every way that we use the possessions that God has given to us. As we saw in the Psalms that we sang, all that we possess is actually God's. God owns it. The whole earth belongs to him. All the cattle, all the birds, all the money in your bank account and mine and in the church's bank account. All of it belongs to God, and he gives it to us and calls us to honor him in our use of it. And that means that we are to be wise in the way we spend it. We are to be good stewards of what we have been given. We are not to waste it on frivolous and pointless things. We are to be thankful for it, and we are to be thoughtful of the Lord in all the ways we use it. But specifically, it's clear in the text that Solomon refers to giving a portion of that substance to the Lord. He's referring to Christian giving. That's clear as he speaks about honoring the Lord with the first fruits of our increase. And he later speaks in the chapter about giving to those who are poor and needy. We are to honor God by giving a portion of what he has given to us, to him. For the support of all of the many causes of his kingdom, for the care of the poor, and many other causes. We are to honor the Lord in that giving. When we come into church on the Lord's Day and the collection bag is passed around, it's very easy for us to simply go through the motions take out the money we have brought along and put it in there without a thought. 
and do it only out of habit and routine and maybe out of the sense of duty that this is the right thing to do, all of which are good things. But there must be more. There must be something deeper. There must be something in our hearts. We are to honor God when we give. We are to worship him. That act of giving should be an act of faith because honoring the Lord is an act of faith. All good works, if you remember, they arise out of true faith. They are done according to the law of God and they are for the glory of God. We can give money to the church and it's not a good work. It's a good work when we give out of faith and when we give because we are honoring God with our giving. The way that giving honors the Lord is that, first of all, we acknowledge him as the owner of that money. This money that we are taking to church, when we give it, we are saying, this belongs to you, Lord, and I'm giving it to you. You are the owner of this money and of all things, and that gives glory and honor to him. And in the second place, when we give that money to the Lord, we're acknowledging that anything that I might use this money for for my own desires, for my own causes, is not as important as you, Lord. Your church, your kingdom, your cause is more important than mine. And when we give it with that attitude, then we're honoring him and giving him the glory. When Solomon says to honor the Lord with our giving, he means by implication that we do not seek our own honor. Whenever we give out of the desire to have the praise of others, we totally spoil that whole act of giving. We must remember what our Lord Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. To the best of our ability, we are to preserve the secrecy of our giving And it's a good practical practice that we have these bags when we give our offerings. When I grew up, we had a collection plate, which is a wide open plate, and it's very easy to see what your neighbor has put into the collection plate. But when you have a bag like this, you can put your hand inside and drop it, and your left hand doesn't even see what your right hand is doing, much less does your neighbor see it. And if nobody else sees it except for the Lord, then you're doing it for the Lord and honoring the Lord and not seeking your own honor. We are to honor the Lord with our substance. We are to praise him and glorify him in our giving by giving a portion of what he has given to us. How much? In the Old Testament, God commanded the children of Israel and those who read this text the first time would have understood that we are to give tithes. He made that very clear in the Old Testament law. We are to give a tithe of all of our possessions. A tithe is one-tenth, 
10% of all that God has given to me, I am to give back to the Lord. For example, in Numbers 18, verses 20 and 21, God commanded them, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in the land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Deuteronomy 14, 22 and 23. Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by year. And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there. The tithe of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. They were to give 10% of all their corn, all their wine, all their oil, all their animals to the priests and the Levites because the Levites did not receive a portion or an inheritance in the land of Canaan. God said, I am your inheritance and I have commanded all the children of Israel to give 10% of their belongings to you so that you will have what you need. That freed up the children of Levi to do the service of the Lord in the tabernacle and the temple. Throughout the history of Israel, there were times when they were faithful in bringing the tithes, and there were times when they were not faithful. One of those good times was the reign of King Hezekiah, after his wicked king father Ahaz, when they didn't bring the tithes, Hezekiah again commanded the children of Judah to bring 10%, and they responded. And they piled up huge piles of grain in the temple. And once again, they supplied the needs of the priests and Levites. But after they returned from captivity, it was a bad time. They were not bringing the tithes as they ought to have. They were forsaking and neglecting this duty. We read of that in Nehemiah 13 and Malachi 3. God even said through Malachi, You have robbed me in tithes and offerings. You have robbed me when you have refused to bring one-tenth as I commanded you. But when our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, he fulfilled the Old Testament laws. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. All those laws, including the law of the tithing, was fulfilled in Christ. Christ, by his obedience to those laws, fulfilled them. He obeyed those laws. He brought the tithes and the offerings faithfully when the children of Israel didn't always do that. And he suffered the accursed death of the cross, which is what we deserve when we fail to obey God's law. By shedding his blood on the cross, he perfectly became the end of that law for righteousness, which means that we don't have to keep this law or any law for our righteousness before God. Our Christian giving is not to earn a righteousness before God. It's not to earn the approval of God and the acceptance of God. Christ did that for us. Christ is our righteousness. And in him we have perfect salvation. 
Through Christ, those ceremonies and figures of the law have stopped. This is what we confess in Article 25 of the Belgic Confession. We believe that the ceremonies and figures of the law ceased at the coming of Christ and that all the shadows are accomplished so that the use of them must be abolished amongst Christians. Yet, the truth and substance of them remain with us in Jesus Christ, in whom they have their completion. In the meantime, we still use the testimonies taken out of the law and the prophets to confirm us in the doctrine of the gospel and to regulate our life in all honesty to the glory of God according to his will. In other words, we are no longer under the law of the tithing, and yet the truth and substance of that law remain with us in Christ. In Christ, we know that that law has been fulfilled for us, and in Christ, we strive to follow the spirit of that law. And the spirit of that law is that we give a portion of our substance to the Lord for the support of the ministry and kingdom of the Lord in the midst of the earth, and that we do that to honor him. In addition to the law of the tithes in the Old Testament, God gave another commandment that is perhaps less well known. We find it for the first time in Exodus 30, when the children of Israel were at Mount Sinai, when they had to build the tabernacle for the first time. God told them to bring free will offerings. Everybody bring whatever you decide to bring. But he also said, and every family shall bring one half of a shekel for the service of the tabernacle. Every family will bring exactly the same amount. Equality. Half of a shekel for the service of the tabernacle. That was a one-time command of the Lord for the building up of the tabernacle at Mount Sinai. Much later in the history, in the days of Nehemiah, we find that they charged themselves a very similar thing. Nehemiah 10, verse 32. There he says that we charged ourselves to give one-third of a shekel per person for the service of the temple. The exact same amount for every family, one-third of a shekel for the service of the temple. In the days of our Lord Jesus, that temple tax, as it is sometimes called, was still in practice. You may recall the story when the temple tax collectors came to Jesus and asked whether he would give that money or not. And Jesus told Peter to go down to the seashore and there to find a fish. And he will find inside the mouth of that fish a coin. And he was to take that coin out of the mouth of the fish and give it for the service of the temple. Jesus himself paid for the support of the temple service. Matthew 17, 24 through 27. And we all remember the teaching of our Lord in Matthew 22. Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. All of these texts of Scripture teach us that we have a calling to honor the Lord by giving a portion. God doesn't tell us exactly how much, except that if we gather together as a congregation and we bring forward a plan 
and all together we unanimously adopt that plan or budget, then we do just what they did in the days of Nehemiah. We charge ourselves to bring a certain amount per family for the support of the service and ministry of the Lord. This command to honor the Lord with a portion of our substance applies very easily and obviously to our giving to the general fund. That's what we call it in our congregation, the general fund. They may call it something else in other churches. But every Sunday we have a collection for the general fund. Do you children know what that is for? You teenagers, young people? We have grown up, if we have grown up in this church, we have heard of the general fund every Sunday. What is that general fund? What is that for? Does God command us in his word to give to this general fund? Well, the general fund is the collection that goes to the support of the ministry of the gospel. That is the primary cause which we support in the general fund. First of all, the ministry of the gospel here in our local church. If we don't give to the general fund, we don't have a pastor, and we don't have a ministry, and we don't have the preaching of the gospel, and we don't have catechism teaching, and we don't have evangelism efforts. We don't have the gospel. God supports it through us when we give to the general fund. But that's not all. Since we are part of a denomination, a portion of that general fund also goes to the denomination to support the ministry of the gospel elsewhere. Here in Wingham, when we give to the general fund, we support the professors of theology in the seminary. We help to pay their salary so that they are freed up from a secular vocation to teach students for the ministry. And a portion of it goes to the missionaries far away in the Philippines or in whatever foreign mission field the Lord may give to us so that we are supporting the missions of the church far and wide. And another portion of it goes to support the retired ministers who have faithfully served the church for many decades but now because of old age and infirmity are no longer able. We here in Wingham support those ministers through what is called the Emeritation Fund and many other causes. But all of the causes revolve around the supporting of the ministry of the gospel and the sacraments. Does God call us to support that? Not only to help pay the electric bill and the water bill and the rent and all the rest, but to support the preaching of the gospel. Yes, he does. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul explains that it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. He quotes that text in Timothy as well, 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. And the apostle applies that Old Testament law in which the farmer, as he's plowing his field with his oxen, is not to put a muzzle on the ox so that it's not able to eat, but he's to leave the muzzle off so that as the ox is working for the farmer, he's also able to eat some of the corn and grain that drops in front of him. Therefore, the farmer is to give food to his ox. And Paul says, Does God really care about oxen? Is that why the Lord gave us this law? 
No, Paul says. He is referring to the ministry of the gospel. He says this, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Ministers of the gospel are called to minister the gospel. We're not to go and get another job. We're not to have a second job, a secular vocation. A minister shouldn't be spending half of his time running his farm or half of his time running his business or half of his time waiting on tables at the local restaurant or any other job. He is to give himself wholly to the ministry of the gospel. But that's only possible when the people of God support the ministry. Ministers are called to live off of the gospel that they preach. Now it's true, the apostle himself never demanded that. He never demanded that the churches support him. He taught them, you must support your pastors, but he didn't demand that for himself. He wanted to be an example to them. He wanted to show them that the preaching, I don't preach the gospel to you just to get paid. I preach the gospel to you because woe is unto me if I don't do it. Woe unto me. The Lord compels me to preach the gospel. But then he reminds them that most ministers should not be making tents to make a living, but the people of God ought to be supporting them so that they can give themselves to the ministry. I preached on this text a couple of times prior in my ministry. One of them was when we were in the Philippines. And that was a good position and opportunity to preach that, to instruct the congregation, because they didn't support my salary. My salary came from the denomination at the time. So I was freed up to instruct them on They're calling when the Lord gives them a pastor in the future. And it's very common in countries like the Philippines and other countries where there's great poverty that the congregations don't support the pastor fully. And he is forced to have a farm or a business and to have a second job in order just to live and to eat. But congregations ought to be supporting their pastors to the best of their ability. Sometimes the poverty is so grinding and so terrible that they're not able to. That is true. But in many cases, through instruction and through encouragement, even a poor congregation can support their pastor. But then that pastor will live at the same level as the congregation. He will not live higher than them, and he ought not to live way at the bottom either, but that congregation would support him in the average. Honor the Lord with your substance. That calling comes to you and to me, that we honor him. Now, the text goes on to say, with the first fruits of all thine increase. The first fruits. That's a very common theme in the scriptures as well, isn't it? The first fruits is the beginning of our income, the beginning of it. The children of Israel knew what that meant. They had read of this in the law of God. And they went through the routines of giving the first fruits when they were spiritually strong. 
God had told them that when the barley ripens in the field, and the barley always ripened first in the land of Israel, that you are to take a sheaf of that barley, the very first sheaf that you cut down, you are to take it and bind it and carry it with you and your family to Jerusalem and give it there to the priests and Levites, the first fruits. That was around the time of the Passover feast. Then about five weeks later, around the Feast of Pentecost, when the wheat ripened in the field, they were to cut down the first sheaf of the wheat and bind that into a sheaf and carry that to Jerusalem with their family to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost and give it to the priests and Levites. God also commanded them that when the first baby was born of their sheep and their goats and their flocks and their herds, all of their animals, the firstborn was to be taken and given to the Lord in the temple. Not only that, but Exodus 13 teaches that even the firstborn of their own children, although they were not to give their children, they had to redeem their firstborn children at the temple with money. All of their firstfruits, of their crops, their herds, and even their own children, was to be given to the Lord. Notice that God didn't command them to give all of their substance to the Lord, but the first fruits. Not every last cent, but the first fruits. What does that mean? And how does that principle apply to us today? The principle of the first fruits is what our Lord says in Matthew 6 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that first. The first fruits obviously is the opposite of the last fruits. What are the last fruits of our income? Well, that's whatever we have left over after we have paid all of our bills, after we have spent a little money buying some things for ourselves, after we have put gas in the car, paid the rent, paid the mortgage paid for the groceries, gone on vacation to our heart's content, and then whatever might be left over after that, that's the last fruits. God says, not that, but the first fruits. The text does not say either, honor the Lord with your first fruits if you are rich, and if you are poor, then that doesn't apply. But whether you are rich or poor, Whether you are struggling or very comfortable, he says to us all, honor the Lord with the first fruits. Remember the story of the widow and the might that she gave? Mark 12, verses 41 through 44, we read, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, that's by the temple, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury, and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, And she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, This poor widow hath cast in more than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. A rich man let's say a millionaire, might be able to give $100,000 in a single collection. But he still has millions left. 
But the poor person might give $100, and that might be all that person has. And Jesus says, that person has given more. Because even though the rich man has given $100,000, he gave out of his abundance. But the poor person gave out of their lack and their poverty. She honored the Lord with the firstfruits of her income. She made it her top priority. And that's the idea of the first fruits. It's not just that you give it first. Because even there, we could, we could say, all right, I've got my paycheck this, this week for however many thousands of dollars for this month, and I take a few dollars of that and put that first in the collection plate, and I use the rest for myself. So we did it first, but that's not the idea. Not simply that we do it first in order of time, but that it's first in order of priority in our hearts. That's the idea of the first fruits. That's the idea of what our Lord said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. First. God is first. Always first. In our possessions. And now what we often think next is, well, what if we have a tight budget or a tight month? What if we don't have enough money and the expenses are high this month or, or the next month or, or even all year long? What if I've been demoted at my job or, or even lost my job? Or what if we don't have enough money to buy food and clothes? Then we go back to the earlier wisdom of the chapter. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He will provide for you. He always has. He always will. He always provides for his people our daily bread. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Jesus said, take no thought. Remember, Jesus gave up everything. He was poor so that we might become rich. He who had all of the world as his possession, as the Son of God, became a man born in a manger in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And all his life he was poor. He never enjoyed the pleasures and treasures of this life until at last he gave his life on the cross for us. He gave up everything for us. So when he tells us, not some rich person condescendingly speaking to us, but when Jesus says to us, don't worry. Your Father knows what you need, even before you know it, and even better than you know it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know that little phrase, what if, that almost always arises out of worry. And that phrase, take no thought, is don't be worried. How often do we say, what if, what if, but if I give, then what if this happens, or what if that happens, if I let go of this this money and put it in the collection plate and it's gone and I never see it again. What if this or what if that? And that's precisely when the Lord comes and says, stop. 
No what ifs. God will take care of you. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your income. And very concretely, the Lord shows us too how he will take care of us, especially as members of the church. If I was speaking in the Philippines, I couldn't necessarily say this to a poor neighbor on the street if I was talking to him who's not a member of the church. But I can say it to you as members of the church. We bear each other's burdens. When one member suffers, all the members suffer together. When one member rejoices, all the members rejoice together. When you are a member of the body of Christ, no one will go hungry. All the members contribute to the common fund of the church. We call that the benevolence fund. And God has appointed deacons to give to those who are in need. And we must never think that it's a shameful thing to receive from the deacons. It's a receiving of the free gifts and mercies of Christ and through our brothers and sisters who love us and who want to help us. If ever we are in need, God will take care of us one way or the other. Finally, God says to us that honoring him with the first fruits of our increase, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. That's the promised blessing. God promises to fill our barns with plenty and our wine presses with new wine. He was promising to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, I will bless your crops in the field. I will cause there to be the right amount of sunshine, the right amount of rain. I will keep away the insects and the locusts. I will keep away the thieves and the robbers so that the grain comes to fruition. You're able to reap it and bring it into your barns and store it up in your barns. And you will have the increase of the field. And I will bless your vineyards so that the grapes come to fruition and they are not eaten by bugs. They are not stolen. But you can reap those clusters of grapes and cast them into the press and crush them under your feet and ferment them into new wine so that I will give you both your needs and luxury besides. I will give you bread to the grain and wine to drink. I will take care of you. I will abundantly provide for you. Not just a meager amount, but a great abundance. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your presses shall burst out with new wine. God was promising abundance to the children of Israel. And what a cause that was to trust in the Lord and to honor him with their possessions. God promises to take care of us, and not only that, but to abundantly bless us. Now in gratitude to him, let us give a portion of what he has given to us, the first fruits of our increase. And as they did that year by year, they could always look back on the previous year And they could see how God fulfilled his promises. He did what he said. He blessed the field. He blessed the vineyard. He gave us abundance. And in thankfulness for the great feast days of the Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, they brought their offerings to the Lord in thanksgiving. 
The promised blessing that God gives to us is not physical and earthly prosperity. There are many a preacher who will go around on television and in their megachurches taking a text like this and preaching to that audience of thousands of people that if you give to our ministry, God will make you rich, just like I'm rich. But God doesn't do that. Those are false preachers. They become rich off the backs of the people. But those people never receive that rich, those riches. They fly around the world in their airplanes and ride in their fancy vehicles and live in their palaces. But they're false teachers. When God says in this Old Testament text that I will bless your fields and your vineyards, we have to understand it's an Old Testament text. And in Israel in the Old Testament, those things were a picture and a type of the far better spiritual blessings that are in the Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures are clear to us that God never promises riches to us. In fact, just the opposite. He warns us against riches, against the love of money and the danger of riches. But he promises us always to bless us richly with heavenly treasures. And whether we are poor or rich in this life, to give us the spiritual treasures that are in Jesus Christ. He says, I'll fill your barns, the barn of your soul, with the blessings and treasures of the forgiveness of your sins, the blessedness of knowing God as your Father, the blessedness of knowing you have eternal life with God, the blessedness that you're not afraid to die because you know it's a passage into the heavenly city, the blessedness of contentment and joy and happiness, no matter what the circumstances of your life. And ultimately, God promises to make our wine press burst forth with new wine in the new heavens and the new earth. There we will dwell in perfect, unending happiness. And so he says, honor me with your substance as long as you live in this life. Show your thankfulness for all that I have done for you with the firstfruits of your increase. Amen. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, thou hast richly blessed us, blessed us beyond our imagination, and we don't deserve it. We thank thee for it. We pray fill our hearts with joyful gratitude today as we have heard again the gospel and grant that this gospel might move us to honor thee with our substance and with the first fruits of all our increase. We pray that thou would go with us now and keep us in thy care. In Jesus' name, amen.